Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. So he changed Peter. And here's another word of encouragement. He didn't wait till he was transformed to use him. And some of us are thinking, as soon as I'm a little more spiritual, or as soon as I'm a little more this, or I'm a little more that, then I know God will use me. No, God wants to use you right now. He wants people to see you being transformed in the process. That's what we get to see in the lives of these first 12 apostles. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Twelve Apostles. We will take up in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, as we consider Jesus calling his disciples and choosing 12 of them to become his apostles. So let's listen in. It came to pass, verse 12, that in those days he went out to the mountain to pray, continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. From them he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. An entire night in prayer. We'll have some point where we'll just spend a day together and you know our study looking at Jesus' prayer life throughout the Gospel of Luke. But, but for now, let's just acknowledge that this is one of the bigger decisions he's going to be making. He spends an entire night of prayer. Father, who have you chosen? What do you want me to do? I do always those things that please the Father. He says, I only say those things the Father tells me. So he calls his disciples. How many disciples did Jesus have at this point? Well, we don't know for sure, but not long after this, he'll send out 70 disciples at once. We're not sure how many we're following, but we know the difference between a disciple and, well, he calls these 12 now apostles. A disciple is a follower, an imitator, one who wants to be like the one he is a disciple of. An apostle is an ambassador for that person. It's a formal position. Someone goes forth with the full authority in word and in deed of the one that sent them. That's what these guys are now becoming for Jesus. Ambassadors, no longer just followers, but now representatives. Well, we don't know how many were following, but we do know that not all of them would continue to follow. John 666, how easy is that to remember? You don't even have to jot it down. It says that after Jesus began to proclaim that he was the bread of life and that you had to eat his body and drink his blood, many of those who were with him walked away from him and followed him no more. It says specifically many of his disciples walked away and followed him no more. And he actually asked Peter and the fellows, he says, are you guys leaving too? And they're like, where would we go? To whom could we go? You have the words of everlasting life. You have the words of eternal life. So, so the idea is there's this huge group of disciples he chooses from among those who had chosen to follow him, those that he was going to train further and more closely. Now the others are still around and others are going to be used as well, but this will be his inner circle. And among that group, there would be an even tighter inner circle of three men. He chooses 12 disciples and, and, um, it is interesting to me, there's not a Pharisee among them, there's not a scribe among them, there's not a Sadducee among them, there is not one religiously trained person among the 12 disciples. Well, what does that mean? They were just ordinary people like us, laymen like us. You notice I didn't say normal people like us because whenever I use that word, I think, what is normal? And just looking out, I think, well, are we really it? I mean, it's like how different we are from one another. 
But we are ordinary people. And, and just like them, chosen to do extraordinary things, not because of the great talent we possess, because all our talents, our natural talents, our supernatural talents, they're all gifts from God. Do you know the only difference in a Christian who's a musician or an artist or, or a, you know, a, a worker at, at whatever job it is, and, and the person who isn't a Christian is the Christian gives God the glory for the things that they can do. We thank God that we can get up and work. We thank that God that he's given us the ability to provide for our families or he's given us talents to do things we couldn't do otherwise. So these guys, they're, they're just regular fellows. We don't know everything about all of them. We don't even know anything about some of them, just their name and the basic mission that he called them to and empowered them for. We know that the first four guys mentioned were friends, and partners in the fishing industry together. Simon is mentioned first, and, and this makes sense. It, it says, Simon, whom he also named Peter. Now, sometimes you'll read Cephas. Simon means a reed, Peter, or Cephas just means a rock. And what Jesus does, and he picks him first, Luke that is, is, well, he takes the one who is the natural leader of these guys. While it doesn't say it, it'd be like, okay, Jesus chooses the 12 and he's standing there and Peter's like, all right, he steps up and everybody line up behind me because that's Peter. He knows he's a leader. He's impulsive. He's intense. He's a bit arrogant. Uh, he is the one, the only one who will say things to the Lord like, no way, Lord, or you don't really know what you're talking about or you don't know who you're dealing with. Who else but Peter? would ever say such things. And here's the most wonderful thing about our Lord. He doesn't say next. You know, I mean, that would be what we would do. We would just pass and say, you know what? It's not going to be worth the trouble. Let me just, okay, who's, who's next in line? He chose Peter, so he changed Peter. And here's another word of encouragement. He didn't wait till he was transformed to use him. And some of us are thinking, as soon as I'm a little more spiritual or as soon as I'm a little more this or I'm a little more that, then I know God will use me. No, God wants to use you right now. He wants people to see you being transformed in the process. That's what we get to see in the lives of these first 12 apostles and, and disciples. So, so Simon Peter, Simon, I mentioned it, a reed, though he was intense and impulsive and aggressive and all those things, He's the one that, well, you know what a reed does. It's in the water. The wind blows this way and it goes this way. The wind blows that way and it blows this way. It's interesting. Peter will later be the one to say that, that we need to make sure we're rooted lest we be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. He learned his weaknesses were something that many other people possessed. And sometimes the strongest of leaders still vacillate in, in very simple ways and important ways. Well, that was Simon. But he says, looking at him, I'm going to make you solid. I'm going to make you a rock. I am going to make you someone that, well, I can use and, and will be used by, my, by uh, my spirit and for my glory. Listen, Peter is mentioned 158 times in the New Testament. That is significant because when you get to the other guys, I mean, people like Philip 33 times, James and John 44 times together. 
So, so no one comes close to being mentioned as much as Peter of this first 12. Well, again, Peter's the aggressive, intense, the I know more than you think I do, Lord. I'm tougher and stronger than you think I am. Peter would have to be humbled by the Lord in order to be used by the Lord. But he's so good at that. He says, if we exalt ourselves, he'll humble us. If we humble ourselves, he'll exalt us. If we think, oh, so the path to exaltation is I'll humble myself, but not really. No, you humble, you pretend to humble yourself. He'll just get you even further down because he'll really humble you. And so, so here's, here's the picture. And, and it's so important. Peter, going to be used and going to be transformed. But, but from day one, we're going to see his work. Now, Andrew is his brother and Andrew had come to know the Lord first. And, and I like this picture because Andrew was following John the Baptist. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, so Andrew begins to follow Jesus and he goes and gets his brother Peter and says, we found him who was called the Messiah. And, and, and he's like, you know, Come, and, and it says he brought him to Jesus. It's a glorious, glorious picture because Andrew is one. If we had to nail down, well, what's the difference in him and, and Peter? Andrew seems to be timid and, and just mild-mannered, and but he's very focused on doing one thing, and that's getting people to Jesus. It will be Andrew and Philip who will bring the Gentiles to Jesus right prior to his statement in John's gospel that the hour has come as he's just this side of the cross. So we're going to see these guys bringing people to Jesus. There is another application here for the many of you that serve the Lord and you do it in some way that, well, you feel like, I don't know if people really notice. They may not, but God notices. There's a gal named Henrietta Mears. Do very many, any of you guys know that name? Does that sound familiar? A few of you only. Henrietta Mears taught Sunday school for a very, very long time. And she had, I'm sure, a lot of Billies in her class because Billy was a very popular name in the years she was teaching Sunday school. But one of those Billies happened to be Billy Graham. And she was so effective of a communicator of the things of God that when he began to do his crusades, she had published this uh, volume of... Of, it's sort of like the walk through the Bible thing that we're doing or, or our guys are doing on Fridays. It's a survey of the entire scripture. She published that. He gave these away for decades to people who gave their lives to the Crusades. So here's a gal. Hardly anyone here ever heard of her, but how many of us haven't heard of Billy Graham? And the point is she invested in him and impacted him in such a way that he wanted everyone to, to have a piece of what he got from her. And yet here time goes by and, and she's virtually forgotten. Hey, not by the Lord she's not and not by Billy and not by the millions of people who've benefited from her writings and her teaching. And, and she was, and, and I, I hesitate to use the word, but I use it because I hear people use it. Just a Sunday school teacher. Like that's some small thing. Man, that is a great honor to teach anyone for for Jesus. And if you have a class of five kids and you're like, well, some of the classes are huge and I only have five kids. You have five kids you are investing in, planting the seed of God's word in. Well, we have Simon, Peter and Andrew. Then we have James and John, partners, of course, with uh, Peter and Andrew in the fishing business. They are brothers as well. They're mentioned 44 times together. Their dad's name was Zebedee. 
Jesus calls them the sons of thunder. I've always thought that meant mom must have been thunder. But uh, these guys, well, if they were around today, I'm certain they'd ride Harleys and wear leathers. It's just their makeup. They are intense. They're aggressive. They fit perfectly with Peter. You notice when Jesus takes the inner inner circle, the three, Andrew's not there. Why? He doesn't have to worry about Andrew. But Peter, he needs to keep him close. James and John, he needs to keep him close. These are the two who had the brilliant idea when the Samaritans refused Jesus' passage through their land, forcing him to go uh, uh, you know, alternate route that would have taken longer and been more difficult. They're like, hey, do you want us to call fire down out of heaven and destroy him like Elijah did? And it's like they know they can't do it, but they know if he gives the word, they can do it. And he looks at him and says, you don't know what spirit you're of, what manner of spirit. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Why do I bring that illustration to your attention? And I've shared it before. Most of you are aware of it because these are the guys. This is the A team. These are the apostles. This is as good as he could get and gather. And he is going to use them mightily as well. Then there's Philip and Bartholomew. And I don't know if you've noticed it. Let me point it out if you haven't. They're all paired up. Do you see that? It's, it's Peter and his brother Andrew and then James and his brother John. And now we have Philip and we have Bartholomew. He pairs them because, well, he says it way back in Genesis, not good for a man to be alone. Of course, that's why he created Eve for Adam. But, but here in this mission he's sending them on, well, two men better than one. Why? There's accountability. There's, there's safety. There's all sorts of built-in blessings of having two godly men walking together in the mission that God's called them to. So Philip, 33 times. Bartholomew, only four, but we actually have 10 references to him because John's gospel calls him Nathaniel. Why the double name? Hey, that's just common in that day. And for whatever reason, Luke calls him by the name he knows him by. We know he's the same guy because, well, Philip was called by Jesus. He was from the same town as Peter and, and uh, his brother. And, and so Jesus sees Philip. He says, follow me. Philip does. And immediately he goes and he gets Bartholomew. But John, of course, calls him Nathaniel. And, and when, uh, when he finds Nathaniel, he says, we found him, the one of whom Moses and the prophet spoke, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's the guy that says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so he just has this idea that there's, you know, are you sure? And, and then they begin to approach and, and they see Jesus. And Jesus says, ah, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And you got to appreciate Nathaniel. He's like, wow, how did you know me? He doesn't say, oh, I'm not that great. He actually is like, yeah, wow, how did you know? And he says, well, when you were praying over there under the, the fig tree, I saw you. And here's the most radical and quickest transition you've ever seen. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel goes on to say, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, we have no idea what he was praying under that fig tree. But I got to tell you, Jesus must have known and it must have been significant enough that he realizes and declares what even Peter and the guys are going to think. Well, that's a little over the top. 
king of Israel, son of God. I mean, come on. They haven't gotten that yet, you see. Here's a guy just meeting the Lord and he's declaring the truth. Well, Jesus says, hey, you think this is something you're going to see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. So we have Peter and Andrew, we have James and John, we have Philip and Bartholomew or Nathaniel. We have Matthew and Thomas. We know about Matthew because we looked at him either last week or the week before. His name was Levi. He was a tax collector. He's also called Matthew. He is the author of the gospel of Matthew. And so he was called to leave his tax collecting and to follow Jesus. Thomas we don't know a whole lot about him, but unfortunately, the one thing that is sort of stuck from him is, well, Thomas was what? A doubter. Yeah, I, my mom named me Samuel Thomas Allen, so it's sort of like built in, you know, I'm a little bit of a doubter. Raised many years in St. Louis, if, and that's in Missouri, which if you're unaware, the show me state. So uh, I have some of that in me. And so I read him and I'm like, okay, I get it. Jesus shows up. Thomas isn't there. It's, it's a, just a, a great picture of why it's good to show up when the saints gather together. I mean, he missed Jesus. And then he's like, well, I don't even believe it happened. And they're like, it happened. We were here. We saw him. And he's like, well, I won't believe it unless I, I feel the wounds in his hands, unless I can, can. And he's like, he shows up a week later. He reveals himself. But, but here's the thing. We know Thomas for that, but Thomas was the one guy when Jesus was saying, we're going up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priest, I'm going to be crucified, I'll rise again the third day. Thomas said, hey, let's go die with them. And I don't think he meant it in a fatalistic way. He was like, hey, if that's what, hey, that's what we signed up for, right? Deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Whatever's going to happen to him, it's going to happen to us. And here's the amazing thing. It did. Ten of the eleven die as martyrs. One of them a suicide. That's Judas, of course, the, the traitor, the one who betrays Jesus. John, we're told they tried to kill and it didn't work because God still had work for him to do. John will end up writing the uh, Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He'll write the book of Revelation. So he's a part of this inner circle. So we have Matthew and we have Thomas. Then we have James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot. And listen, we don't know anything about these guys. It's been suggested that Simon, the zealot, was a part of that group that was opposed to Rome and actually politically motivated to overthrow Rome. But that organization actually formed a bit after this. I mean, there was the seed of it, the, the heart of it was there. But it could be that this is actually a positive and not a negative because zealot just means someone filled with zeal, enthusiasm, a desire to, to and a passion to accomplish. And so it could be that he's just saying, hey, we have this guy, James, and we have Simon the zealot. And uh, again, what we do know about him, sent out just like the others to preach, to teach, to heal, to cast out demons. And we come to the final two, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Now, if these two were the ones who were paired and sent out together, early on, Judas might have made the decision, just call me Thaddeus. But certainly after the other Judas betrayed Jesus, he'd be like, hey, please don't call me Judas. And uh, so when you read about this guy in the book of Acts, he's called Thaddeus. And, and so that's his uh, other name. He is Judas, the son of Alphaeus. Uh, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James, also known as Thaddeus, and Judas Iscariot. 
and so uh, who also became a traitor. The scary thing, and I got to share it with you, and I have just a couple other thoughts and, and uh, we'll just look at this little bridge of verses 17 through 19 that connect this section and then the glorious teaching that follows as we've looked at opposition. Now we see the apostles and now we'll see the opportunities before them, the ministry Jesus was calling them to. But, but check this out. Jesus, again, didn't choose any religious guys or super spiritual guys or guys who had it all together. He wasn't looking for that. He was looking for men who were available to him, who if he said, I want you to leave all that, they would, who would do what he planned and purposed for them to do. And, and that's exactly who these guys were. He discipled them personally, having chosen them and separated them. He sends them out, he empowers them, and, and they actually duplicate his ministry. Whatever he was doing, preaching, teaching, healing, casting out demons, they're going to do all those things. But again, very diverse, very different crowd. And, and uh, you know, they did have to forsake all to follow him. We're called to do no less. They weren't perfected and then used. They were transformed in the process of being used and perfected when they died and stood before Jesus in glory. There is something else, though. I was thinking about our current pastoral staff and, you know, the backgrounds we have. We don't have one person that was a religious leader before they served and ended up pastoring here at Calvary Chico. And it's it's interesting of those who were actually, you know, and there have been so many over the years. My little brother came and interned with us. He went, of course, and started Shoreline Calvary down in Morro Bay. And, and we've had people come and, and leave and start other types of churches. Our job has always been the same. Same, equip the saints for the work of ministry, whatever that ministry is. But check this out. Here's our pastoral staff prior to being our pastoral staff. A teacher, a fireman, a carpenter, a cop, a broker, a mechanic, and a musician. That, that, that's the guys, you see. It reminded me for a moment of a band. And then I thought, no, I don't like that image. But... Uh, but uh, because some of you know what band I'm talking about. But... But, but the thing is, is God just chooses regular old guys is the point. And, and he uses those guys and, and every person who's been ordained as a pastor here, because we don't actually ordain anyone. We just ratify God's ordination. Well, how do we recognize his ordination? Well, we watch people and we see the fruit that they're bearing and the ministry that's taking place. And at some point, and this is how all of our pastors have ended up on staff here, is that we're like, man, we can't afford to have this guy working 40 hours out there and only being available to us for 20. I mean, we need him for the whole 80. And, uh, this is a good math, you see. And so uh, the, the, the deal is, is that we, we're just looking for who's God using and where's the fruit and what's God doing. And then our job is just to ratify what we see God doing. And that's all man can do. We can't fit someone for ministry. We can equip them. What's the difference? That to be fit has to do with character and nature and transformation that only God can do. Equipping is giving them the tools they need, a knowledge of the word, an understanding that it's his work, a, an understanding that character is the most important thing. Christ likeness is what we're representing, not just Christ word, because the Pharisees had that, but they didn't have him. Well, finally, we see that in verses 17 through 19, he came down with them 
stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from Judea and Jerusalem, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. So we know he's in Galilee. People have been coming from uh, Judah in the south. Now they're coming from the northwest as they come from Tyre and Sidon. And, and so from everywhere, people are gathering to Jesus. They came to hear him to hear his preaching, to hear his teaching. They came to be healed of their diseases and as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and healed them all. It's a season of opposition and opportunity and Jesus seeing the, the, the massive potential of the ministry begins to gather men to himself and transform and, and equip and send them out to do the work that he'd come to do and the work he gave them to do. What did Jesus see in these 12 men that he chose as his apostles? What trait did each of them have that led the Lord to choose them? Frankly, in my opinion, the only trait that really would have mattered would have been their willingness to serve. Now, if you add Paul into the mix, but don't count Judas for obvious reasons, 11 of the 12 died as martyrs, showing their willingness to serve despite the cost. Galatians 5.13 tells us, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.